Hey guys, and welcome to another industry podcast from Echo from CSE Sock. I'm Zabrat, and I'm joined by Michael. We have a very special guest today it's from Canva's data analytics team. Do you do you mind introducing yourself? Hi. Yeah. So my name is Vinci. I'm yes currently a data analyst at Canva. I've been here for about two and a half years, uh, and I joined right after graduating from a Bachelor of Commerce and science from UCID back in 2018. Uh, I guess I currently sit as uh, the analyst for the video product where I do numbers. <laughs> numbers. Cool. To get us started, do you just want to say a bit about like what is data analytics? Like, can you give us an explain like in five line down of what you do? Yeah, right. So I think in general, it's really turning data into insight, uh, but I guess if I break it down a bit more, so what I do specifically at Canva is like product analytics, and we can break that down into, I think, four key things. So the first one is we run a lot of A-B experiments. So uh, in this case, for example, uh, we might change the color of a, a button in the product. And, and we want to see like what impact that might have on a user's experience. So sometimes that might lead to more signups or um, more people engaging with the product. So a huge part of building a product at a SaaS company is that you run a lot of these experiments. And so you analyze a lot of these experiments. Uh, the second main thing that we do is we also build a bunch of dashboards. So a lot of that has to do with uh, being able to present a lot of key metrics to your stakeholders. Uh, and also create dashboards for your stakeholders to self-serve so that they can explore and play with the data and figure out how they can do their jobs a bit better. Um, a third kind of activity we do is, I would call it data modeling, but in the data warehouse. So a lot of that is making sure that we take all the data that we ingest and model it into a nice usable form. So these are then used downstream in like dashboards or like in other ad hoc analyses. And I'd say like the fourth like and final major thing we do are more like research projects or like ad hoc deep dive analyses. So this can be a bunch of different things. Uh, one, one thing might be you're just debugging or trying to figure out why a metric went up or down and you spend quite a while on that sometimes. Um, the second thing might be you um, are trying to forecast a particular metric or like set some goals and you want to see where I might end up. But I think like perhaps the like most interesting one is probably you're trying to understand user behavior. So you end up doing, um, you end up getting your data and then like sometimes you might be making a few charts, but other times you might actually be running that through some ML models to see like, um, how users behave or like what they're going to do next that sort of thing cool um just to follow up but like how big of a difference is changing the color of a button make in ab testing yeah i'm curious i don't think i've actually i run um an experiment with that came out. i guess that's a very, very classic one uh, but one might be you change the copy of the button so what it says and that can actually be really really powerful cool i mean Changing, changing the little text. I don't know. Does that actually make a huge difference? <laughs> because it, yeah, to me, it was like, oh, you know, if I care about the product, I care about the product kind of. Yeah. Um, I think at Canva, it's 
pretty interesting. Sometimes, like, we run, uh, we make changes to the product that, like, are actually bad for our metrics as well. So, like, it, uh, it might encourage less people to subscribe. Um, but we, and I think Canva is a little bit different as well because the founders have, like, such strong values. So um, I remember, like, one experiment that was quite interesting was probably that, um I don't know if you know some like subscription companies they like try to get you to subscribe sneakily maybe it's like by making you um like making you subscribe to like the annual plan instead of the monthly plan um and sometimes that uh, I think in some papers they call it um dark analytics maybe or like dark experiments mm -hmm. uh, because you're really like playing with user behavior there uh, but I think at least at Canva, um, sometimes we will take the hit with like lower revenue because it's like the good thing to do. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that like when, when like the annual plan or the plan that you want them to take is like in the middle and it's like really big and the other plans are like these? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They make the like the most profitable one um, yeah. for like in your face. Um. I think, um, so are you a data analyst? Because there's like a lot of intricacies with these. Um, there's like data yeah. anal uh, analyst, there's like data engineer, and there's analytics engineer in the middle. Do you mind expanding yeah. on what you do exactly? Yeah, so I guess I'm a data analyst. Um, okay. And I guess uh, I talked about what I do like within product analytics. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think you can probably roughly split it into another type, which is like marketing analytics, which is where you specifically look at more like website, mm -hmm. like web app metrics um, and advertising things. Okay. Okay. Um, so is there like a difference between a data analyst and a data engineer? Yeah. So I'd say um, in data analytics, you're making insights for your stakeholders. So you're specifically, making data-driven recommendations or you're working with uh, your product managers so pms or your other stakeholders to make mm -hmm. these decisions that will yeah. impact the product whereas i think data engineering is a more technical kind of thing uh, they tend to work on building data pipelines that uh, bring data into the warehouse so that can be really difficult when you have lots of different type of types of third-party data um, they oh, also okay. handle like the infrastructure behind that. Like when you mm. have so much data, like how do you make sure that you know you always get like your millions of terabytes? Okay, or, yeah, more than that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like managing versus analyzing what you've. Yeah, I'd say so. They definitely like handle a lot of the infrastructure behind it that okay. makes the analytics analyst work possible. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's really cool. Does it involve much coding? I know like there's different roles in data and so on. So like how much of a head start in data analytics would a coding background give you? Uh, I think this actually depends a lot on industry. So I'd previously worked at um, an advertising consultancy oh, yeah. and also at a media agency. And they were, and like having a coding background like was not mandatory at all. They were doing a lot of things in Excel and you can, you can get really far with just Excel, honestly. Like <laughs> um, I think entire like fine the entire finance industry is like very Excel focused. So you can do heaps without having a technical background. Um, I'd say like at tech companies like Canva that uh, having a coding background is uh, more of a necessity than it is in other industries. 
but I still think that like your scoff skills are actually still more important. Like you still need to understand like what your stakeholders are doing um, so you can actually figure out what data they need. I mean, there's like a fair bit of like sophistication to this, right? Like you mentioned like ML models and stuff. So like surely you can't do that. Something like Excel. So that's true. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of buzz around this whole um, data thing. There's like machine learning and AI and all that stuff. Um, so what are your what are your thoughts on, on like AI and ML? Did they actually um, is that just buzzword to get you know sales up, or is that an actual thing that people use? Is that real? Uh... I think the term like AI and like ML have like this kind of magic around it. Yeah. Uh, I do think it is absolutely a buzzword and it's really, <laughs> um, and if you break it down, it's really just a tool and it's really just statistical modeling. Mm-hmm. So I guess in a sense, like we do use statistical uh, models to do things, but I think if you think of AI and you're thinking of like a machine that knows how to play Go, then like, no, we yeah. don't really do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good to hear. Total buzzwords. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So we talked about like a bit of the analyzing data part, but what is this thing called data analytics engineering? Like, um, my impression is it's more about building like a pipeline of how you get data and then data analytics is sort of actually analyzing it. Does that sort of match up to reality? Yeah. So there's definitely a thing in the industry now where we're moving towards of where there's a role of an analytics engineer being created. And I think that's coming from um, a lot of technology behind data warehouses um, improving like insanely. So uh, in a lot of companies, or like there's a, there's a term we call now like the modern data stack uh, where you have like a data warehouse and the really common ones are like you have Snowflake, um, BigQuery from Google, and I guess Amazon Redshift uh, and like, the classic way of ingesting data was uh, a term called like ETL. So you have like extract, transform, then you load the data in. Um, but like with the modern data stack, we do like extract, load, then transform. So it's like we swap like the load and transform around instead. And that means like you can now just ingest your raw data in and then like inside the data warehouse, you change it to however you want. Um, and that's like good. So the role of like kind of analytics engineering is to take care of that transform part that has like typically been taken care of by like data engineers. Um, I'd say it's like a mix of analytics and data engineering because the really powerful thing about it is um, you're like an analytics engineer understands like the stakeholders so they know like what questions they're going to ask and uh, they then know how to like model the data in a way that will answer those questions. Whereas I think like, Uh, data engineering which is like more technical and they don't really work directly with the stakeholders i find that much harder to okay answer your question yeah Yeah, yeah. uh it's just that the names are so similar they sound like they're the same thing but i'm guessing they're like wildly different they really smush the like analytics part of that yeah engineering part yeah yeah and they just think of better names yeah (laughs) uh do you do you do a lot of uh analytics engineering or is that um, is that something like a side thing that you do? Uh, interesting question. I'd say in most companies that the two roles are split. Uh, yeah. At Canva, um, data analysts kind of historically have been stretched quite broadly. So 
So we've done a lot of the analytics engineering stuff, uh, but we've, I guess, recently restructured our data specialty so that we're having like specific people do the analytics engineering side of things versus the data analytics side of things. Oh, that is really confusing, all right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I wanted to like get a feel for um, your background a bit as well. Um, so how did you first get into this um, data aspect? Because your, your degree isn't, um, oh, firstly for the viewers, uh, what did you study and where did you go? Yeah, right. So I studied a Bachelor of Commerce uh, and Science. I majored in Business Analytics and Computer Science at UCID. So yeah, when did you realize that um, data was something that you wanted to do? How um, did you go about it? Yeah, I guess like it was a bit of an accident. Uh, I actually went to uni thinking I would like major in like accounting and HR and like yeah. psychology. Okay. And I did like none of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the thing that ha what happened was I did like a research project mm. in my first semester. And I was working with the innovation lab at UCID and they'd shown me like some really cool data visualizations um, that you could, it was like a website, you went to it and it showed like the world population on a globe and it had like sticks coming out of the globe. Oh, okay. And I thought it was like, the, I thought yeah. it was like the coolest thing ever. It's like <laughs> it Jarvis like, in Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was just like so intuitive and like, I don't know, I just thought it was like the best thing ever. And so yeah. uh, that's how I started studying, I guess, statistics, like business analytics and, and computer science as well, actually. I think you um, preempted our next question because we did some investigation and we saw that you had a research project. I think it's what you just said. It's um, mapping populations, visualizing spatial distributions of populations over time. Um, was that it? And, no, I did that oh, after my first one. I see. Can you talk us a bit about your experience with these research projects? Like what was the process um, and what was like the hardest part? What was the most rewarding part and so on? Ah, oh, oh I have many thoughts about research. <laughs> um, oh, uh, so that particular project was um, when I was working with the innovation lab, I knew they had like this particular data set that I, was, that I thought was absolutely fascinating. So um, I think it was a data set on um, how, people on campus connect to wi-fi so you could then link um the location on campus yeah. to a particular place on campus i don't know if that's what i just said <laughs> um but i thought it was like the coolest thing i said ever um and so i wanted to work with it and i wanted to visualize it which is how i ended up doing that um hardest part of research i think is that research is very very open-ended uh, I actually think it's very similar to the whole like data science pro process when you're like building a really nice machine learning model. Um, you're just like kind of throwing a lot of different things at it and you're not really sure if it's going to like come out into like a nice cohesive result or even a nice result. And so you're just like throwing a lot of things at the wall. Um, I think that process can be very difficult. <laughs> so that would be data science, right? There's another term now. And that would be more focused on research is my guess. I wouldn't really say that. I'd say like data science is more like a tool for many other research areas. So for example, okay. you can use data science in like medicine, medical research. Okay. okay. Yeah, I just thought, you know, science research, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've stopped you plenty. And um, 
We saw that uh, you've, you've tutored a lot of like these computing subjects, uh, uh, courses at UCID. Um, just wanted to gather your thoughts on, you know, tutoring and like teaching people. Do you like teaching people? I do. But really funny story. The first time I tutored, the reason why I wanted to do it was um, I remember back when I was studying for the HSC, I went to this study seminar and then they were like, the best way to retain information is to teach someone else. Oh, uh, yeah. Like the finding thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, which is actually the, the real reason why I started tutoring. Um, but then like after that, I guess, um, yeah, I think, I don't know, tutoring I think can be really, really rewarding. Like you see people learn and mm-hmm. grow and then like you can also, um, I guess, give your thoughts on a few things. So that's pretty neat. <laughs> you can also force some of your opinions on people, which is kind of cool. <laughs> 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 <I'm kidding. laughs> Going back on the uh, whole... Um stalking thing we also saw you were being involved with the girls programming network as a tutor uh what was yeah. what was that experience like uh pretty actually i think i so i think i started uh working with the girls programming network before i became a tutor at uc and i think the first time i went there i was, I was absolutely terrified um i think you can choose several roles that you can take so you can like just uh work with students and try to help them debug things or you can actually like teach a class uh, or a module and I was like absolutely terrified terrified like I was super introverted uh and I was just like that tutor in the corner that like kind of went around and like tried to help <laughs> other people um I think like just volunteering in general and then also taking part in uh other like other like university societies I ended up uh, learning how to talk to people more I guess and like be much less awkward um, I'd say, like, experiences outside the classroom, like, were really pivotal to help me grow as a person. Was there anything in particular that, like, attracted you to the Girls Programming Network? Um, like, for example, um, it's well known that sort of programming data, CS, has a bit of a gender disparity. Did that, like, to try and make a difference go into your thought process? Mm, I think at the time, probably not. <laughs> Uh, I think over time, like, as I got more exposure to the industry and it, the, like, gender disparity kind of became more obvious, actually. I guess when I went into, like, my advanced, like, computer science classes, um, I remember there were, like, classes of, like, 30 and, like, there would be, like, two women in it. Wow. So that was pretty sad. Like, a class of 30 or, like, yeah. more. And it's, like, yeah, two women. That was pretty sad. Um, but I guess, like this kind of thing with gender disparity really has to start earlier so I think um, with girls programming network you really are working with you're know, working with children um, and they're also like very enthusiastic and happy and like innocent and like fun to work with as well yeah um so I mean you think like volunteering is pretty worth it right because like I don't I know a lot of people that would think that you know they don't really have a lot of time in their hands to begin with as you know a student and then they want to get into volunteering things, but then, you know, then they don't have time for it and then they don't get paid for the work. And I mean, there's always, I can see both sides of the coin where someone might think that it's it's not the best use of their time. And it's also more worthwhile to do this yeah. kind of thing. Um, so where do you sit on it? Do you think it's definitely worth it? You should definitely volunteer, give it a shot. Or well, if you, if you don't think so, then maybe not kind of. Interesting. Um, I remember when I took, like, a first-year business course at university, um, they made us look at, like, the 
top most employable skills of a graduate and up there was like communication yeah so I think like that really stuck with me throughout my entire degree mm. um and I think it like also might be a bit trickier in um a pure science degree where you really are doing quite technical work but at least like in my business degree it was like um pretty much every super successful business school student like was doing like leadership roles like you guys are yeah. doing NCSC talk um and they were like doing like part-time work uh they were volunteering they were doing things outside of their degree and I think that helps you build a lot of your soft skills which uh I guess people don't really emphasize enough especially in like an analytics role yeah. um but I would say like if I did not do any like volunteering or like extracurricular outside my degree I absolutely would not be where I am now. <laughs> I think you end up developing skills that are very employable. And I think it's also like yeah. a nice way in. So like if you can't get an internship, then like, you know, you, sh- you can like participate in like other society um, activities. Like I think like 180 degrees, um, like puts you into a group of other students and you get to work on like some pretty interesting problems sometimes. Mm. I'm not affiliated with 180, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not do it, but... Um, a lot of my friends did um and I think like it you kind of get the skills or you get to experience the skills of work experience even if you don't get to have an internship um speaking of internships how was what was your first internship like oh uh it's I don't know if it's that interesting (laughs) so um the University of Sydney does this program in the business school degree I think they call it industry placement program so they like stick you in a company that you can't choose uh for 12 weeks for like as a subject and so I did that um one summer and that's how I ended up in a media agency doing data things it was really interesting because I applied to do it as like doing like as a business information systems major which was my second commerce major Mm. Uh, and I ended up doing data things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because the usual story is like, oh, I was so clueless. I had no idea what to do and because uni doesn't quite prepare you for it. Ah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I had a really, really great supervisor. Um, I think the thing that shocked me the most was like how much the industry runs on like just a plain Excel. Like, you, you know, I came <laughs> from like computer science degree. We were like talking about databases uh like you know scripts automation and then like you go into the workforce and like you have these people uh exporting things from like website and then like doing their own analytics on top of it in excel it was like mind-blowing to me i couldn't believe it why do you think everything's so excel based like surely it's not the best tool for every single job but it's so ubiquitous it seems Someone said this to me, and I think it's, like, one of my favourite quotes. I think Excel is, like, the second best tool for everything. Um, so it's just like the re- whole trades, kind of. Yeah, and I think what makes it so good is you have, like, that interface. You can type in your formulas, and you can see the result instantly. Um, like, like it's an incredib- incredibly powerful tool. It might not be the best for a lot of things, but <laughs> it is. It gets the job done in so many places, um, which I think I also want to point out that um, – what also isn't emphasized a lot is like skills with Excel. Like Excel will take you so far. Uh, it might seem like um, not as useful, but I feel I think 
every analyst that I know of is like super proficient in Excel, even if they don't say it. Gonna download a Excel course just after this thing. <laughs> it seems like a really useful thing to learn. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That was a really interesting, like, I guess, background of where you are, oh, how you got to where you are. But like, let's change stack. And I think most of our audience is out of Canva, um, since it's pretty big company now, but when you joined, it was a lot smaller. So um, you joined in 2019. And back then, what sort of drew you to Canva? Why did you want to work for it? Yeah, I guess I used Canva when I was, um, I guess, running a not-for-profit back when I was at university. And I thought it was a really easy way to make nice designs, like Facebook cover photos for events. And I think that's how I first heard of Canva. Uh, and then I guess um, for me personally, I was really interested in the tech industry. So I knew that's where I wanted to be. I knew I wanted uh, to work like in the coolest industry ever. <laughs> um, and like, there are more options now, but uh, back when I graduated, I guess you, I guess even now, like you really have like very few options in Australia. You have Google, Atlassian, um, Canva, and like maybe Microsoft. Oh, so um, the other thing I looked at was, um, I know that I also want to move overseas for a period of time, sometime, I don't know, mid 20, maybe. Um, and so when I looked at companies, I did a bit of LinkedIn stalking, although I would call it due diligence, uh, to see like when people exited these companies, like where did they go? So the real thing I was looking for is if they worked at this company, could they exit into a tech industry? Like how common was that? Um, but I guess like Canva was really, um, Canva was really the company that like, I was, I knew the product. I felt like I understood it. It was like also a B2C company as well, um, which I think makes it easier to empathize with your users uh, compared to like, let's say like a Microsoft where you're really doing more B2B work, like you're selling your product to businesses. Um, so it's like, I think harder to empathize with that. So I felt like Canva was a product that excited me. Okay. So, I mean, you started when Canva was relatively not as big. Oh, I mean, surely it'd be less big than it is now. Uh, Correct. <laughs> yeah, because um, with Canva's like growth, it, I think it's been growing pretty um, exponentially. When you joined like three years ago, um, what was it like then? Um, was there like a large data analytics team or, um, or was it like a few people doing their thing or... It was pretty small. So I think back then, so I started in January 2019. Um, back then, I think Canva was valued, uh, I think, just $1 billion in 2018. Um, and I think it's valued at $15 billion now. So I guess it's grown 15x over the last three years. Uh, at the time, the data analytics team was super, super small. I think they officially started in July 2018. Um, so when I started in January 2019, um, another analyst and I joined on the same day. So I guess we take the fifth and sixth spot on the team. Yeah. Um, but now we're like at almost 50 analysts. It's like insane. Interesting. Um, how would you say the, the workplace and the culture has changed as it's like, going from like several hundred to maybe like rather over a thousand people yeah so um 
I guess for analytics specifically, um, two years ago we had, uh, let's just say, let's call it subpar infrastructure. <laughs> we were working with like a data warehouse that like wasn't scaling as much as we needed to. Um, it was really hard to answer our stakeholders' questions. Um, and oh yeah, it was really hard to answer our stakeholders' questions just because like our infrastructure and our tooling wasn't there. Uh, I think a lot of knowledge sharing was just like analysts sharing information. I remember going in and like needing to like query the data warehouse to find out what kind of events were firing on our product. Whereas I think now there's a lot more structure to it. Like an analyst comes in, they get to go through an onboarding program. <laughs> they get to read like real documentation. Um, they really, it's really like heaven now. <laughs> ah, okay. How, um, okay. how useful is documentation? Like, is it, would you recommend all the um, computer science and data science students out there get good at documentation writing? Or is it, can you just flip through it? Oh, um, I think, I don't think you can work as an engineer or as an analyst without needing to write documentation at some point. Like, it's just like the thing that like constantly needs to be updated. Uh, but I guess like, I think in general, it's pretty good to read it, like, because you get to know, like, the full extent of everything that a tool can do. Um, whereas, like, I don't know, I, I know, like, sometimes I would just do a thing and, like, kind of brute force my way through without having read any of the documentation. Uh. Yeah, I think, I think writing the documentation is more of a work, more work than, um, <laughs> because when, when the documentation is there, you, you appreciate it. But then yeah. it is sort of more, yeah, usually you skip out on writing it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. How, how do you, how you, does someone force you to write documentation? Does someone like oversee? Um, I don't think, actually, you know what? The thing that makes you write documentation is when five people ask you the same thing and you really just wish <laughs> uh-huh. that you wrote it in okay. the first place. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I do find writing like documentation um, also helps clarify my thinking process. I wish it was something that I jumped to doing more often because I think it like helps you organize your thoughts and like put them together into a cohesive like story to tell other people as well. Yeah. So um, so you mentioned you worked on um, video, was it? At Canva? Yes. Uh, so can yes. you talk us through like your typical day at work? So it's the normal day. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. I would classify today as a reasonably normal day. <laughs> oh. So... <laughs> well you have a podcast for like one hour so that's true but it's also after 5 p.m okay <laughs> um it's pretty different day to day um and like it also depends on like what time it is in the year uh but i guess for today i would i woke up i rolled out of bed i went to my desk <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess, very efficient commute time up right now I guess working from home, it's like not very exciting. You just roll out of bed, go to your desk, work, and then at five, you're out. <laughs> yeah. So I usually would check, um, I guess, my Slack messages and emails and also um, any like pull request reviews uh, and anything small, I'll try to do them like straight up in the morning. So things like very simple PR review requests, I'll just review them straight up. Um any like small messages I'll put it in. Um, I guess I'll also like create my to-do list for the day. Like I said, one thing that I want to complete that day and like a few other smaller things that I should probably do um, that day. 
So I guess for today, I have an, a fortnightly meeting with the video leadership team where I where we end up like get in a discussion talking about a bunch of experiments that we're running. Uh, so I guess throughout the day, I was working on putting together a doc to summarize everything so that we would have like a bit of an agenda and like had points to discuss during the meeting. Uh, at some point I had lunch. It was delicious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I think at 1 p.m. we have our global stand-up. So the entire company across all our offices come together and um, we talk about uh, things that are happening, any launches that we have, like a nice, um, some like customer stories sometimes. Uh, and also like there's a section at the end that's my favorite, like the good news part. So um, they talk about like nice things that have happened in organization. Um, so today in like the global standard, they made us make, um, they made us like use the mobile app and create magazine covers, uh, either, either like yourself on it. Um, and it's, there was a quote in it that said like, it made you feel good because you were on like the magazine cover. No, oh, yeah, I would like to be in a magazine cover. Yeah, now you can. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, you, you mentioned that one of the things you do is review PRs. What's it like Correct. reviewing a PR? Like, what do you look for? <laughs> have you ever had to, I don't know, roast someone or have they always been pretty tame? Um, I think any analyst I can will probably tell you I'm, like, the most rigorous PR reviewer ever. <laughs> they probably hate it. But if you want, like, to, if you really want your PR roasted, you just add me as a reviewer. <laughs> um, I think... It kind of depends. Uh, so in general, we use the PR review process uh, to review data models that we're putting into our data warehouse. So these are like tables that our stakeholders are using in downstream BI tools. So it's incredibly important that we get the logic of these correct. Um, I usually look at them from, I think, three perspectives. One is probably the logic. So are the numbers being calculated correctly to probably like computation and efficiency so because we have so much data like it's pretty important that we try to write it in a way that's most efficient and like would take minimal amounts of time to run um and then like third probably um i i, I nitpick quite a bit at style because I, I like things being consistent so i'll say like um because I'd done like my degree in computer science and a lot of analysts don't have a background in computer science, but a lot of them come from like someone has like a neuroscience PhD, someone else did theirs in like government and policy. Wow. Uh, we have quite a wide breadth. Um, and then like others like who are like less interested in the data modeling side of things and they're more interested in say like ad hoc analyses and understanding user behavior. So I guess, like, for me in particular, I'm very interested in understanding, like, how to do things, like, very efficiently. Um, and I think that, like, comes about from a computer science background as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I guess I review those PRs and then I point things out. Are you roast them? <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> how is, so um, how has, you know, COVID been a, been a thing? Is that, like... Is that like a thing that um, I know for me it, it demotivates me quite a bit, like because 
I'm not around the people that I work with. And then, um, yeah. especially at uni, it's just like my class is like a really quiet Zoom meeting and no one says anything until the very end and everyone just says thanks and leaves. <laughs> so how has COVID changed like your work ethic or like the, your team's work ethic at Canva? Mm. Uh, pretty int- also an interesting question. I actually moved to the video team uh, in the midst of lockdown last year and I it was actually super, super hard um, because I was meeting all of my team for the first time over Zoom. I like did not really know what their personality was like. I was afraid to uh, bother them too much and like also afraid of like wasting their time with like casual chit chat. Um, so yeah, I think COVID is really, really hard for everyone. Um, I guess uh, I guess the Canva was like the company does like a lot of incredible things. Um, so I think last year they um like every Friday they had like a musician or like a band um jump on Zoom and they'll like do a performance. Um so that made it a bit nicer. These days, uh within analytics we uh we play a lot of games, I guess. We started using this product called Gather Town recently and it's like a virtual space. You can there's like an office and you can move around with avatars. Um, but you can also play like games with other people and I feel like that really facilitated a lot of um, more casual conversation between people yeah especially with COVID and you, you only reach out I think the main problem is that you only reach out to your coworkers when something doesn't work or you want to you want to ask about something that's you know very work related so I think that like I think that would make bonding with your coworkers a little bit harder is that, yeah, is that the case it's pretty hard yeah, yeah it's pretty hard yeah. What was it like after the lockdown last year when you went when you came to the office and like you met your team and you were like for the first time? You... Uh, was, I think like people like kind of gradually went back to the office. Um, but my gosh, it was just like so good being able to like turn to like the product manager next to me and like immediately ask me a question. Whereas if I was at home, um, I would probably like that you know it's a really tiny question i don't really need to answer sit on it for like four hours and then like ask it over slack it was yeah so amazing um so um i wanted to ask if if someone at uni or listening to this podcast was interested in getting into um data analytics or yeah data analytics or analytics engineering let's say what advice would you give them if if they really wanted to break in Okay, I have quite a few for this. I asked like the rest of my team, well, some of the rest of my team, um, and they all had like something different, but I think it's all like super good. So um, one of them said that um, you don't need to worry about having the right degree. So don't think about like, oh, you need to do a data science degree to get into data science or to get into analytics. It's really like having an understanding of the foundations in like maths stats or like logical thinking and a lot of people get that um like through an engineering degree that does a lot of maths or like um through doing a phd where they're doing research and they just have to wrangle the data um and of course like other people come in uh through their maybe they're like a marketer before and then like just to do the job that better they picked up on how to do data so um their advice was don't worry about the degree it's the mindset (laughs) mindset and skills of course Yeah. Um, someone else said, 
um, that they'd failed a bunch of challenges before they got hired at Canva. Um, and like the flaw in their plan was they were always trying to do some really fancy stuff. So using like cutting edge neural network or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that in real life, when you're presenting to your stakeholders, doing something simple is extremely effective. It, you know, if you have a solid foundation and you like can think through things and communicate that, that is like all you really need. <laughs> just do it in Excel, Just do everything in Excel. That's all good. The last one was... Um, which I think would also be the one that I would give is to get as as to like try as many things as you can and like get as many experiences as you can. Um, I remember after like my first internship in data, I loved it. And then I was like, wait, maybe this is a fluke. So I went and interned in consulting and I realized that no, it was not a fluke. Um, So getting all these different experiences, like, experiences helps you figure out like what you really like and also what you extremely don't like what was it about consulting that you didn't like so much um good question i would say like um my project wasn't like particularly well Mm. organized um yeah and that probably helped i think also that because i'd come from you know working or like yeah working within a not-for-profit um, where I had a lot of agency to do things. It was working at a, a consultancy suddenly meant that there was a lot of red tape and, like, I was really waiting on, like, my manager um, to figure out, like, what I could or could not do. Mm. Okay. Do you think it was consulting you didn't like or was it just the company didn't have the best, like, structure or culture? Yeah, that's, a, that's also a really good question. Um, Hmm. I think for me, I valued um, being able to, what I like, like how I work best was that someone gives me a problem and like they, but they don't tell me how to do it. Like um, they tell me what the goal is and then I like kind of figure out how to do it myself. Um, And I think like that is something that is more prevalent in, I guess, a much smaller company. When you're at a larger company, you end up having red tape and a lot of structure. So uh, I wanted to ask, where do you where do you see yourself in like five years? Would you still be working at Canva? Would you be doing something that's that's bigger than right now? What is like your um, five year like goal? You'd be like to be doing. Ooh. I have this goal kind of, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I have this okay. goal where I think I'd like to um, lead a data function at a smaller organization. So maybe something like 100, 200 employees. Um, let's say 100 employees. And I want to be able to um, kind of build all the foundations for that. Like, so the technical work for it. Um, and then like from there, moving into more of the like management role and being able to coach others was there like a specific product that this would be working towards or um, or maybe a specific no. kind of product because it's kind of unfair to ask what kind of product you're working in five years <laughs> uh, I guess I don't really have one in mind um, 
yeah, I guess like just that the product would probably have to align to whatever values I have at the time. Okay. Okay. So you you'd like to be in the leadership kind of position. I think so, maybe. Okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be doing in 5 years time. <laughs> yeah, um, pretty difficult. Just to wrap up, I guess this podcast, is there anything you were hoping we would ask but we didn't? Like if if you could sit in our chairs, what would you ask yourself? No, I really wish I'd thought of something witty for this. <laughs> no, I don't really have anything. Okay, okay. We'll skip that bit. <laughs> <laughs> um Thanks so much for your time, Vinci, um, for taking like the time to talk to us. It was really great to hear about your experience about data analytics and data analytics engineering and data science and all the data words. Um, and thanks everyone for tuning in. We really hope you enjoy this episode of the Echo Podcast, and we'll catch you in the next one. <laughs>